ran a series last week in the park, and I gotta tell you, that was like the biggest turnout in the park we have ever had. Uh, we were just south of 200. If you would have brought five more people, we would have been there. Uh, but we have never had that kind of turnout in the park. But the weather was gorgeous. There was plenty of shade in case you were stayed home because you were worried about getting sunburnt. I was there, bald and all, didn't get burnt because we were in the shade. All right, but it was a great Sunday. We had one combined service. The entire church came together. And um, just a wonderful time as we began a new series called The Good Work. And if you weren't here last week, uh, you can listen now to the message online. It's available at albanync.org, our website. Or if you're an iTunes subscriber, it's available there as well. Uh, but encourage you to jump back to last week if you've missed any of this, because this is just a four-part series, maybe five. kind of depends on how far we get. But uh, God has a good work for all of us. And what I love about this story is that... Um, we go to the Old Testament to Nehemiah, and we look back at Nehemiah as this great leader and this you know, godly-inspired man, but can, can you put yourself in Nehemiah's sandals for a minute? He was very much an ordinary guy who, when the burden came, he was a slave. He was captive to another kingdom. Even though he was a Jew, he was being controlled by, at this point, the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. So he was serving a foreign king a thousand miles away from his home. If there was ever a reason for a person to get bitter and mad at God, Nehemiah could have been one of those. But an ordinary guy gets burdened for his people and what's happened back in Jerusalem, and he says, I can't take it anymore. I need to do something. And when God puts a burden in your heart, friends, he puts it there for a reason. And my concern for Christians today is that we're not getting burdened, that we're not, we're becoming calloused, and we're distancing ourselves from the problems of our world because we think it's too big, or they think that Christians don't care, or they think that Christians don't have the authority to speak into it, and so we just continue to hit the snooze button on the burdens God puts in our heart. And can I tell you, God puts that burden in your heart for a reason. Maybe you see a need being unmet in our community. Maybe it's a people group that you feel burdened for. Maybe it is an injustice that you see around us, and you're kind of going, I can't take it anymore. So what do you do when you can't take it anymore? That's what we talked about last week. But here's one big idea from last week, and it's this, that God has a good work for you right now, right where you are. Don't push this off to a different day, a different time. God has a good work for you right now, right where you are. And some of you, last week, you stepped into it during vacation Bible school. You said, there's a good work going on here. I'm going to jump in on that right now, right here. And because you did that, you were faithful, and we saw a great ministry take place that week to our kids. God has a good work for you right now, right here. And there's probably somebody in this room today where God has put a divine burden in your heart that has disturbed you, and you can't shake it. You've tried to hope it goes away, kind of like a bad set of gas. You're kind of hoping it'll pass, right? It's like, whatever. But you have this burden on your heart you just can't shake, and it's moving you deeply in kind of a significant way. Here's what you need to know, and this is kind of today's big idea, and it's this. The challenge that you face reveals the calling you'll embrace, all right? That's right down worthy. The challenge you face reveals the calling you'll embrace. 
In fact, if you want to follow along today, there's several ways you can do it. You can go to albanync.org, go to messages and hit message notes, and you'll see our notes for today. Uh, you can also use your Uversion Bible app that many of you have, the free Bible app, the most downloaded app in the entire world. Uh, and our notes are there. If you go to a, a live events, you'll find us there. Or some of you just turn your bulletin over and write down notes because we have this big white spot in the back of the bulletin for you. But the challenge you face reveals the calling you embrace. I have met countless people serving today the Lord either in full-time or part-time or just as a volunteer. And the reason they're serving is because they felt a challenge in their, in their heart. They felt a burden that they could no longer just ignore. And because of that, they stepped into it. Do you know that great ministries today were launched because somebody said, I've got to do something. Teen Challenge was one of those. Many of us know about Teen Challenge today. But it started in the heart of a pastor who couldn't stand it anymore. And in his community in New York, he saw what this brokenness was doing to young people. And so he said, enough. And he stepped into it. There are missions organizations around our world today that are, hap that are happening to deliver those who are being uh, trafficked for sexuality. They're being stopped and they're being ministered to because somebody said, I can't do this. This can't happen any longer. This is a great injustice and something has to change. You see, great movements happen because people were moved deeply here first. And who knows what great movement God may have you initiate because the challenge that you face reveals the calling that you embrace. And I have, a, I have a hunch. In this room today, there are people that God is stirring your heart right now to something that maybe you can't do as a volunteer. Maybe it will require all of your time and all of your life. Maybe it's in missions. Maybe it's here in our community. Maybe it's to be a pastor. I don't know what it is, a missionary, an evangelist. But some of you, there's something you can do right now because you, believe it or not, have the time to do it if you restructure your life around that calling. So with that thing that upsets you, what do I do? What do I do when I feel this burden and I know there's a good work? How, what do I do now, Kelly? What, what do I do? So today I want to talk about the making of a good work. Once you have felt that burden, and we looked at last week, we'll talk about it again in a minute, what Nehemiah did when he felt the burden, but he couldn't just feel it and go, oh, he had to rise to action. And so today, it's the rising to action part, all right? So let's give us some context first. So we got to go back a bit in history. I want to rewind history for a moment back to the days when Israel was one entire nation. Most of you recall in the Bible story that when the Israelites were freed from their captivity in Egypt, they began to make their way to the land of promise, or we call it the promised land. And once they were established there, they became a nation of tribes. They became the nation of Israel. Ultimately, that nation then was appointed a king. Saul was the first king. David was the second. Solomon was the third. After Solomon, though, the kingdom divided. There was, an, in essence, a form of civil war between the north and the south. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. In Judah was Jerusalem, kind of the capital city of the Israel nation. That's where the temple was, okay? Well, because uh, Israel had wicked king after wicked king after wicked king who established idolatry and worshiping pagan gods, violating God's covenant. By the way, God said, if you go into the land, it'll go well with you if you obey my commands. But if you ignore my commands, right, I'm going to kick you out. And so that happened to the northern kingdom of Israel about 722, 721 B.C. They were removed from their land of promise. Well, in 587, 
the southern kingdom, Judah, was invaded by Babylon because they also were being disobedient to God. So King Nebuchadnezzar, this wicked king of Babylon, comes down and carries off as captives the people living in Jerusalem and around around the area of Judah. And now they were taken a thousand miles away, and their homeland was left desolate. The walls were torn down. The temple was destroyed. When a new kingdom comes in, their goal is to demolish anything that would create national pride. So their religion, their well-being, anything of commerce, all of that destroyed. So those that were left, because there were a few left, those that were left were devastated. No leadership, no hope. Well, fast forward about 50 years, a new king comes in authority, the king of Persia, kind of demolishes the Babylonian empire. The king of Persia comes in. He allows some Jews to return to their homeland of Jerusalem, and they return to rebuild the temple. You can read about this in the book of Ezra. They return to build the temple. They get going on the process, but it, it halts over time. Another several years pass. Nothing's been happening. Eighty years after their time in captivity, word gets to Nehemiah from a friend of his who brings word back from Jerusalem that the walls are still torn down, it still lies in ruins, and the work has stopped. And Nehemiah gets burdened. He's burdened for his people. In fact, we, we actually uh, see that in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, which we covered last week. And when he hears the news, he breaks down and cries. And then he prays. And then he rises to action. So what do you do when you want to make a difference? When God's put a good work for you to do in front of you, what do you do? There's four things we're going to see today in Nehemiah's story that show us what to do next. The making of a good work. The first one is this. Seek God faithfully. Seek God faithfully. We see this in Nehemiah's story again and again and again. We see him 12 times in the book of Nehemiah. We see him seeking God, going before God and praying and praying and praying. In fact, let me give you kind of a timeline so you kind of understand it. When Nehemiah heard the news from Jerusalem, that was in the month of Kislev, which would be like our November, okay? When he heard that news, he starts praying until the month of Nisan, not the car, all right, but that's a Jewish month, which is like March. He's praying. November to March, he's praying. Four months, he's praying. He's seeking God. You might go, Kelly, I don't know if I can wait four months to do what God wants me to do. Well, you may not have to, but in his story, and in his example, he sought God for four months, fasted, waited before God, and he asked God for some things. We see it in Nehemiah 1.11. This is what he asked. He said, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Who was the this man? It was his king and his boss. Because he says, I was cupbearer to the king. cupbearer to a king. This is who Nehemiah is. He's not a prophet. He's not a priest. Certainly he's not a king. He's not a contractor. He's a cupbearer to the king. Nobody came to Nehemiah 
Nobody from Jerusalem came and said, Nehemiah, we're going to appoint you to go lead a group, to go down and get this thing figured out. Nobody appointed him. And this is one of the things we have to understand, that when God places a burden on your heart, you don't have to be appointed by man if you're called by God. And if you're called by God, here's what will happen. Men will confirm that and see it in you. That was the case with me. I started out just serving in the church. And as I served and began to fill God's call upon my life, I didn't go to my pastor and say, Pastor, I am called to do this. No, it was confirmed. But I stepped into that calling. You know, nobody came hunting for Nehemiah because he, no, he was basically a no, He was a servant to the king. That's what he was. He had all the reasons to say no. I'm not a contractor. I'm not a leader. I'm not any of these things. I'm not even sought out as a great leader among the Jewish people. I'm a cupbearer to the king. And by the way, as cupbearer to the king, I have one very important job. And that's to bring the cup to the king and to sample it before he drinks to make sure it's not poison. That's my job. It's not to go fix walls in Jerusalem. But he knows who he is, but he feels a burden. And he knows step one is to seek favor with God, to have favor with his king. Because if this is going to happen, the king's going to have to approve it. And you can't come to the king sad, or you don't burden the king with your problems. You're there to make the king happy. But the story goes on, Nehemiah 2, verses 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. Why? Two reasons. One, you're not sad in the king's presence. Two, he was about to talk to the king about what's on his heart. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Just pause there. How many would love a king to say to you, what is it you want? Because this is a guy who can deliver. He's got a blank check now in front of the king. Look at what Nehemiah does next. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Like, wait, Kelly, time out. He just prayed for four months. Isn't that good enough? I mean, why in the moment does he have to pray to God? Couldn't he just unload what his plan was? No, because Nehemiah knew the making of a good work, step one, is that you continue to seek the Lord. You seek the Lord faithfully. So he was given this blank check, and he pauses in the middle, and he prays. Now, he doesn't pray like a four-month prayer right there. I mean, he already did that. He's already prayed for four months. What he does now is kind of like a, a quick text prayer to God. Just a, a quick, help me, or give me the words to say. You ever prayed a prayer like that before? Maybe you've been in a, in a moment of crisis, and all you could utter was, God, help me. Or God, please, and, that, and that's all you got out. Or maybe something snapped in your body a way it wasn't supposed to, and your thought was, oh, God, help me. Or your kids come back uh, <laughs> with some bad news about school. Oh, God, help me. You know, if we're only living on those short three-word prayers, you will never have the intimacy with God that Nehemiah had. He could shoot up the text-like prayer because he had been in prayer continually with the Father. Too many Christians want to live on short three-word prayers. Bless me, God. Give me, God. You know what? 
no great thing happens to those sorts of people. The people who have an intimate relationship with God established over time of seeking Him and knowing Him and praying to Him, then you can do those prayers and you know what? You've got His ear too. And so he prays quickly. And what's he doing? He's seeking God faithfully. He could have moved on his own. He could have sat down and said, oh, here's what I think. But he sought God's favor. He sought him faithfully. And so I hope you do both. I hope you have long prayers. Not like five hours today, but I hope you pray over the long haul. I hope you seek him daily and build that relationship. And then I hope you feel comfortable within the context of that to shoot up these quick prayers. But here's something you have to know about prayer. There's nothing too big for God's power, and there's nothing too small for God's heart. I remember teaching kids about prayer. I love teaching kids. They're so fun to teach. And I was teaching about prayer one time in in a church setting. And we were talking about how God's power is available to help us when we pray. And so I encouraged kids to let us know prayer requests, and we'll pray for them. And and kids would share their prayer requests, and it was all over the radar. It was like from, you know, my parents aren't together, my dad needs to stop drinking. I mean, some of these big kind of big power cluster things to like, can you pray for my neighbor's dog? You know, I mean, those kind of prayers all came in the same context. And it reminded me there was nothing too big for God's power, but there's also nothing too small for God's heart. Aren't you glad that he cares about all the details of our life? So here's Nehemiah, seeks God, given a blank check, which is a revelation of God's power at work through his prayer, and he says, help me, God, or whatever he prays. We don't see it. It just says that he prayed to the Lord, he sought the Lord. And here's the thing about your burden or your call. If prayer isn't necessary to accomplish it, then you've got to really question, is this legitimately from God? Because there are so many times we want easy stuff for God for us to do. How many know God, oftentimes, the burden he's leading us to is a big thing, which require big prayers. God would require big power on God's behalf. Pray harder. Pray through it. Seek him faithfully. Secondly, define the vision clearly. Define the vision clearly. So what is that burden? What is that thing, that challenge God has put in your heart? Okay, seek him and then define it clearly. Let's look at it. Uh, well, in a moment, we'll look at it. Here's something to, to kind of write down. If you have a heart for something, then you have a vision for something. You're going, Kelly, I don't know if I have a vision. Yeah, yeah, you do. You have a vision you're living out right now. Some of you are going, uh, I don't know. Yeah, you have something you're living for right now. All of us have something that compels us to do. It's either self it's uh, gratification, or it's serving a mission, or it's ser- you have, you right now, you have a vision for what you're doing. But you may not like it, all right? When God puts a burden on your heart, if you have a heart for something, then you have a vision for something. For most people, when it comes to vision, it, the problem is not caring, because you care. The problem is clarity. You haven't put it down to terms. So I want you to watch how Nehemiah, with this burden he has, and now this open blank check before the king, how he clearly states his vision. And it's not as complex as we might want to make it, make it be. Look at, look at verse 5. So after he prays, real quickly, I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, 
Let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. One sentence. One sentence. Clarity. He says exactly what God has burdened him with in one summary vision statement. What does he say? Please send me to Judah so I can rebuild the wall. Now, again, that's not rocket science vision. That's just like, that's what he's trying to do. Send me to Judah so I can rebuild the wall. One sentence, clarity. Let me tell you what he didn't do. He didn't come before the king and say, well, king, I have this Aunt Melba who lives just south of Jerusalem, and my cousin Ricky was up there the other day, and he went there to buy a horse, and when he got there to buy the horse, he noticed there wasn't a horse, but he didn't notice that the city was totally destroyed, and so he went back down, and he told my aunt, and then word came to me, so I'm thinking about starting a Facebook page, uh, a Facebook page to kind of present the need, maybe a GoFundMe account, um, so I can do something about it. And by the way, King, that means I can't work for you anymore. And working for you is not that fun because there's a possibility that I'll die because uh, I'm supposed to drink before you drink in case you get poisoned, and that's not the best job. Uh, I was hoping for a promotion, but you haven't given me that. In fact, you haven't even given me a Christmas card the last two Christmases. And the last time a picture was taken when I was in the background, you didn't tag me and put it on Facebook. So I think I'm going to leave and go on a missions trip and do something. I've heard people try to communicate what God is leading them to do, and that's what it sounded like. And if I was the king, I would step back and go, I asked you what you want. Was there clarity in any of that? No. Define it clearly. God puts a burden in your heart. Define it. In fact, again, if you can't define it, you won't do it. If you, won't, if you can't define it, you won't do it. And this is the danger of defining it, because now you got to do it. Let me give you an example. Maybe there's some bow hunters out there, or maybe there's some people who like to, to shoot um, whatever. Usually whatever you're shooting is intended to arrive somewhere intentionally, right? Is that the plan? So if you're shooting an arrow... What is the goal? Good. See, this isn't rocket science. Yeah, it's a target. If you're shooting a rifle, what is the goal? It's a target. So if you were just randomly shooting and there was no target, you could arrive where the arrow went and went, yay, the arrow landed. Isn't that wonderful? Let's all celebrate and go back and shoot it again. It's going to land somewhere else. Oh, look, the arrow landed. Isn't that wonderful? And that's how some of us approach life. Like we're randomly shooting arrows. And being happy when they land somewhere. That's not defining it clearly. Because once you define it, you'll have to do it. But until you define it, you won't do it. And so it's time to write it down. It's time to set that vision. In, in a sentence, what is it that God is leading you to do? In one sentence, what is he leading you to do? That burden turns in to a vision, you have a heart for it, you have a vision for it. In one sentence, what is that vision? If you ask every inspiring ministry leader what their vision is, they will generally have it to you in one sentence. For example, our church, what is our vision? Leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, that's it. 
You can take that a million different directions, but when it comes down to what I do every day, I am leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. That's why neighborhood church is here. Why am I here as a, as a person? To lead, to live, and to love well. That is my mission as a person. What is yours? God may have a specific one for you to the specific call you feel. Mine's kind of more generalized in leading people. Write it down. In a sentence, what is it? How are you going to do the work? He says, send me to Judah so I can rebuild the walls. Number three, then you make plans carefully. You make plans carefully. Make plans carefully. Because a goal without a plan is just a wish. All right? A goal without a plan is just a wish. Some of you are wishing to do something for God. Let me tell you. Let me break it down. It starts with a burden that leads to a vision that you write down, and then you make plans around it because that vision or that goal without plans is a wish. God does not need well-wishers. You know what he needs? People stepping into it, the plans that he's created for them. And here's the good news. The righteous have their steps ordered by the Lord. He will direct you as he did Nehemiah, because Nehemiah prayed and he sought God. So you make a plan and you honor God. You know what? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is get organized. And that might be making somebody uncomfortable. The most spiritual thing you can do is actually get organized. Let me talk about God for a second. Was creation disorganized? You look at Genesis chapter 1, and you continue to read through creation. It was pretty systematic, wasn't it? Everything that happened, one led to another, led to another, led to another. It was order. It was systems. In fact, God put into motion systems. We call them solar systems. We call them time systems. God is a God of order, and he's a God of systems, and he reveals those things to his people. He had a system for Nehemiah, and as he sought God, God began to reveal that to Nehemiah. Like most of us, God doesn't give us all the plans up front. Because half the time, it would scare us to see all the plans up front. Sometimes it's baby steps, but he makes his paths straight. Those who trust in the Lord with all their heart, not leaning on their own understanding, but in all their ways acknowledging him. This is what Nehemiah did. What happens? He'll make your paths straight. How's it work for Nehemiah? Look at it. Chapter 2, verse 6. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me how long. The reason the queen is sitting beside because she's the one that really gave the approval, right, guys? Uh, <laughs> then the king, I thought it was interesting that that was in there. I mean, why else would that be there, right? I mean, there was the queen. So they were both giving consent. Uh, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. Now, notice, his, notice now the plan unfolding. What's he say? So I set a time. I challenge you right now. If God has put a burden on your heart, Set a time now. I mean, you got to seek him, but set a time. God has given you some generalities. It might be within this year. It might be within the next year, but set a time. He did. So I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, none knows what he does. May I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so they'll provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. In other words, provide me a safe journey. This is going to be important, otherwise I'm going to be dead and we're not going to get there. So his plan made sense. Here's the time. Here's what I need. I need protection. And secondly, I need provision. Let's look at it. 
And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the wall, a city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. That's like he had a plan. He brought it before the king, and the king granted it. This is why it's important to make a plan. People buy into that. He asked for protection. He asked for provision. Very clear. Protection to travel, provision to build. He sought God, and the king approved. Make your plans carefully. And the reason that's important is because when we get to the next thing here in a minute, which we won't get to until we get there. But some might think, well, I, I want to create a plan, but I really don't know how to have a perfect plan. Because some of you are perfectionists out there, and you will have a failure to launch until you have a perfect plan. I have not seen in creation or in, in all of Scripture a perfect plan totally set out, except when God gave Moses the plans for the temple, which was God's place. Most of the time what happened in God's plan is it was revealed over time. As they stepped into it, God revealed. As they stepped into it, God revealed. And there are so many times that's the case. I would rather execute a good plan today with passion than a perfect plan months from now, but with no passion. All right? So seek God, get a plan. So what's my plan? What should I do, Kelly? I have this burden. What do I do? Here's what I tell people. Do the next right thing. Not, not the wrong thing. Okay, that's a, that's a big no-no. But do the next right thing. We're like, okay, well, I need a little more clarity on that, Kelly. What is the next right thing? I believe God's going to show you. Some of you did the next right thing this last week when you stepped up and said, yes, I'll help at Vacation Bible School. That was the next right thing for you. Here's what I've discovered. Every time I stepped into the next right thing for me, God was there to meet me and lead me to the next right thing. So the next right thing for me, I wanted to get involved in the church, but I was a kid. I was a teenager. What can I do? I'm just a teenager. I did the next right thing. I put a puppet on my arm, and I sat behind a curtain, and I was part of the puppet team. Next right thing. And when I was holding that puppet and my hand was cramping, because when you have it up in the air for a while and you're moving its mouth, it really hurts. And it was a long puppet play. But I never saw this coming, standing here today in front of you. Not holding a puppet, although some of you would prefer that probably. That was the next right thing. And God led me to the next right thing and the next right thing. The problem is, too many of us do a lot of wrong things next and mess the whole thing up. So what's the next right thing for you? It might be, if you feel a burden to do something, it might be to talk to me. It might be to talk to a ministry leader who's over that area of ministry, if it's kids or it's youth, if something in the community. Some of you, it's going to the find your place class. That's the next right thing for you because it's like, I have this burden, I'm not sure what to do with it. Well, the find your place class helps you find your place. And some of that... Ministry is not going to happen inside the walls of this church. I have already referred several people to ministries outside the walls of this church. Because the next right thing for you might be finding somebody who's already doing what you feel burdened for. I've had folks come to me and say, Kelly, we need to start doing a feeding ministry. I think it's very important we feed the hungry. I said, you're right. But you know what? There are organizations that do that in town. Go serve them because they are hard, desperate for volunteers. Go serve. They're doing a great job. Go do it. If we try to do all things barely, we'll do nothing well. 
But there are people who specialize in certain ministries you feel called to. But get involved. Find a way to serve. I have folks that come to me and they say, I'm really burdened about this, Kelly. You should do something about this. And I tell them, you feel the burden. You find two or three people. You come back with an action plan. Let's talk about it. Because you can't just dump your burdens on me and expect me to share that burden because I won't. I have a different burden to bear. I'm not the burden bearer of all burdens. But I will certainly commission people if it makes sense to do it within context, neighborhood church, or in community. I'll connect you. But don't dump your burdens on me and run. Might make you feel good in the short term, but you'll be frustrated in the long term. All right? Do the next right thing. Because I believe success is not achieved in the great out there somewhere. I believe success is being faithful to do the next right thing today. So there is no neutral Christianity. There's no idle Christianity. You need to do the next right thing today. What is it for you? I can't answer that question for you. But do the next right thing. Here's a hint. It's not sitting still. It's actually the next right thing. It's doing something. Number four, and we'll wrap it up. Inspire people passionately. Why do we need to inspire people? Because you cannot go it alone, period. You cannot go it alone. You will burn out. You will drop out. You cannot go it alone. Nehemiah, by the way, doesn't go it alone. So after he gets the approval from the king and all the provisions and all the letters, he journeys down to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he sees all the Jewish people that are remnants there, the ones who were sent and didn't finish the job. And you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't go over and find the first biggest rock he can find and try to lift it up and put it back on the wall. It would be pointless for Nehemiah to rebuild the wall by himself. He could never accomplish that. He would be vulnerable to the first opposition that came his way. And by the way, we're talking about opposition next week, which is also why you can't go it alone. you got to have somebody with you because you will face opposition. That's why I love the body of Christ. There's no lone rangers in the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We all need each other. We need partners in ministry, people who are doing this with us. So let's look, look at it, Nehemiah 2. So he's back with his fellow uh, Jewish people in Jerusalem who have been doing nothing all these years. So he said, I said to them, and notice what he does. Here are the key pieces to communicating passion. Look at it. He says, you see the trouble we are in. The first thing he does is he puts the need right out there. He says, you see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. So the first thing, raise the awareness of the need. That becomes the rally cry. This is the issue, but it doesn't just say, here's where the trouble is, let's go. That's not what he does. Phase one of passion was to communicate the problem, communicate the need, help them see the need with you. Then he says, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. What is that? That is his mission statement. That's his vision. I have come here to build. So let, notice the operative word, Let us, not, hey, watch me. Watch me rebuild the wall. That's like me saying to you, hey, come watch me do everything in neighborhood church. 
I'll be here now. I'm going to go to the nursery right now and hold the baby and burp them. Then I'm going to run down to neighborhood kids and feed them snack and run back up here and say the next word of my sermon, right? That's ridiculous. But let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's a rally cry with vision. Moves on. Why, right? And we will no longer be in disgrace. That's the why. The need, the vision, the why. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me. So who's for us? God is for us. Who can be against us? God's hand on me and what the king had said. And what they reply then after they heard that, what did they reply? Let us start. Notice what they did? It wasn't like, sounds good, Nehemiah. You go do that. That's not what happened. They said, let us start rebuilding. They caught the vision. It became a team sport. I've always told you, church is a team sport. If you come here to spectate, you're in the wrong church. Church is a team sport. We all find our place. We play our part. We serve as mission, either in the walls of this church or in our community. So what happens? So they began this good work. They began it. Why? Because Nehemiah shared his passion to those that needed to hear it. I love what John Wesley says. Light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. You know what? There are some people that need to hear your passion. They need to join in what God's laying on your heart or you need to find some people with like passion and go do what they're doing because they're out there. Why reinvent the wheel if God has already placed the burden out there to share? Because people need to have you join them, either in our church or in our community. So the burden God placed there, it wasn't an accident. It's on purpose. You have to respond to that. So the challenge that you face reveals the calling you'll embrace. So how do I embrace it, Kelly? Very simple four steps we saw in Nehemiah. You seek God faithfully. You start with prayer. But don't get ahead of God. Pray. Let him him lead you. He will. He won't always give you the big plans. Let him lead you. Step two, define it. Write it down. If you don't define it, you won't do it. Write it down. Number three, make plans carefully. You might need to recruit somebody for this because maybe you're not so good at the making of the plans. Maybe you're good at vision, but you're like, I need somebody to help me, right? So maybe you go to the next point sooner than later, right? Which is the last one, you inspire people passionately. It's so exciting to see volunteers rally around Vacation Bible School. Why? Because we sold it with passion. Foster Parents Day Out, our our events we have for foster kids. Why? Because we sell it with passion. These are the reasons why people rally around what's going on around here. You need to have the same passion. So what do you do? You step out and you do what you can do and then let God do what only he can do. And the rest we'll see in Nehemiah's story as we move forward. Let's pray. That's how we make a good work. Let's start right there. God, I just pray right now. There are people sitting in here today who have continued to feel a nudge in their soul that they can't shake, they can't hit the snooze button because you're stirring something in them. And maybe rather than being angry and reacting to what they feel, the injustice that they see or or the people acting certain ways, Lord, I, I pray we wouldn't just react we would stop and check our spirits because maybe you're putting a burden there. 
And I pray right now for those that feel burdened. That God, you'd begin to turn that burden into a crystal clear vision. As they seek you through prayer, they'll be able to write it down, define it clearly. And because of that, now they, they recognize they have something to do. It's in front of them. They can't get away from it. And so then they'll make plans carefully and seek counsel and seek you through all of that, as Nehemiah did. And then, Lord, they're going to get people around them. They're going to inspire people passionately. Because there are others that need to join in what they're doing, but they can't go it alone. I've seen too many ministries fall because it was on one person's shoulders. God, I pray you'd raise up those around them. And for some, it's just starting right now with a burden, but I pray they would not stop there. Move them to action, to the good work you have for them right here, right now. In Jesus' name, amen.